everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 8, where we discuss how rail service performance is impacting the movement and export of Western Canadian grain. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined by Mil Proyer of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, the consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. Nice to see you again today, Milt. Hello, Greg. How are you? Pretty good. So we've got week eight in the books now. Uh, continues to be a good trend for CP. CN trending a bit differently, obviously. They're going down a little bit. What did you see in the week eight report? Well, as you say, another uh, outstanding week for CP, you know, with 99% order fulfillment. Uh, arguably down from last week, but last week was 100%, so I'm not sure that's worth mentioning. Probably the biggest thing with CP in week eight is for the second time in the first eight weeks of the year, they actually had some orders that they didn't fill that they need to carry over to week nine. Although for context, there was only 11 of them, so it wasn't exactly a big deal. CN, a little bit of a different story. Um, You know, CN started in the low 80s at the beginning of the grain year, considerably behind CP, um, but worked their way, you know, above the 90% threshold by the time we got to week uh, four and five, I think, or five and six, one of the two. But the last couple of weeks has kind of turned the other way on them, uh, culminating in uh, week eight performance, which came in at 80% order fulfillment, which by a hair is the worst performance that we've seen from them so far this year. Uh, The story is not complicated. They kind of struggled everywhere. uh, And where the real damage was done was in their three largest corridors, which are Vancouver and Prince Rupert and Thunder Bay. And in week eight, uh, CN did not manage to hit the 80% order fulfillment mark to either Vancouver or Prince Rupert and barely got over it for Thunder Bay. I think they were 83% Thunder Bay. So if you're gonna uh, miss the mark on the three corridors that probably are commanding 85% of your business, it's probably not gonna come out good at the top line. And that's, uh, that's what we saw in week eight. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, obviously, CP is doing you know very, very well. Eighty percent is pretty much the, the the floor that we like to see. You know, the railways hit um, absolutely should be should be higher because there's you know that's an, the shippers who aren't hitting eighty are, are are definitely suffering there in that situation. Um, and obviously, the the dichotomy between C and CP is is quite striking uh, so far. Um, we do like to see consistency though. And clearly if on the provincial level, um, somewhat similar compared to, to last week, but maybe unpack a little bit how CN's performance declined a little bit in, 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 from a provincial sta- uh, standpoint. Well, like you say, it didn't look a lot different than, uh, than week seven. If you recall, when we talked about re- week seven, um, CN had been particularly poor in Alberta, um, coming in at 65%, I think, in week seven, but had been much better in Manitoba and in Saskatchewan, uh, which were in the uh, mid to high 90s, uh, respectively. Week eight saw everybody go down, 
I mean, Alberta went up technically from 65 to 67, but, you know, still the worst performance of the three provinces by a stretch for CN. When we saw it in week seven, uh, we thought that it was uh, largely concentrated in the northern part of Alberta, you know, the what's known as peace country. Um, but not so much in week eight, it was much more spread out uh, across CN's Alberta territory. Um, part, of part of what drove their numbers down, which is a, a concern of a different kind, is that they got back into the rationing game a little bit on shipper orders in um, week eight. And I think rationed basically two train sets worth, 200 and some cars. They just happened to both be in Alberta. So when you look at that over that two week span, there's some consistency uh, or a pattern that's starting to develop here where while performance may go up and down in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, it stays pretty good for the most part. Alberta now for two weeks has been terrible. And if you're not performing in the West Coast corridors of Vancouver and Prince Rupert, then Alberta's in real trouble because that tends to account for, you know, anywhere from 90 to 100 percent of shipper demand uh, on a weekly basis coming out of Alberta. So week seven, week eight, similar overall, a lowering of performance, uh, but Alberta remains particularly concerning. CP, as you'd expect, just sailed right across. They were very good in all three provinces that really had no dips in any corridor of significance. So like you say, they just keep sailing along, demand goes up, doesn't seem to bother them. CN, uh, I think that's an unfolding story that's worth watching here in the few weeks ahead. Yeah, definitely worth watching. Um, not what you like to see at this point of the year. And maybe maybe worth a deep dive on a, on a future podcast, because I know that particular area, Northern Alberta, there's a lot of products that has to move through there from other commodities as well. And so... Um, could be some issues with uh, with with a lot of other groups as well. Could be a, a hotspot for a CN right now. Uh, looking ahead, demand continues to grow. Um, what are you seeing in the upcoming weeks as far as far as demand? Obviously, a smaller crop, but still, you know, in the scale of things, this is when the when the crop we do have wants to move. So, quite a bit of it does want to move. Um, are you seeing a continued growth in demand in the next few weeks? Uh, well, as far as we can see, yes. And right now that's out to week 10, uh, which is in real time this week. Um, as you say, you know, uh, if you look historically, this is the time of year when, when the grain wants to move, you know, and it's driven by world grain prices and, and uh, other factors in the market. So while the volumes are lower in absolute terms, certainly compared to last year, which was just kind of off the charts, um, relative to history, you know, the curve is the same, uh, which is what you'd expect. So, you know, early in the year, uh, first five weeks or so, we were averaging for the system as a whole, about 4,400 orders a week. We saw the first notch up in week six and seven, orders or demand moved up to about 8,000 uh, plus orders a week. And then week eight, nine and 10, as best as well, Week eight is in the books, obviously, but nine and 10 coming up, um, 9,000 plus. So, you know, the arrow is still pointing up, whether or not we'll 
you know, get higher than 9,000 and change. Uh, who knows? We'll see. We'll know better on Friday when we get our first view of week 11. So CP, as I said earlier, seems to have taken the, you know, increase in demand in stride. Their performance has not faltered uh, whatsoever. Uh, CN less so. Um, you know, their performance has now gone down for three straight weeks. Uh, and that's kind of been in lockstep. Like if you chart those two trends as demand has gone up, performance has come down, which is when you start to get concerned about issues like capacity, whether that's crews or cars or track capacity. Um, but there seems to be, at least in the short term, a relationship between those two uh, variables. So, you know, as far as we can see, demand is going to remain relatively strong. I would note, by the way, that uh, for those people who read the grain plans that are published by the railways every year, um, the numbers that CN has seen uh, so far this year, including what we see in weeks eight, nine, and 10, still fall far short of what CN has committed uh, with respect to capacity for empty car spotting as part of their 21-22 grain plan. You know, they talk about spotting somewhere in the order of 5,500 cars on a system basis every week. So if you take uh, the ATC's portion of that, which would be 90 or 95%, we should, you know, we should easily be able to handle 5,000 cars from ATC shippers and they're not even coming close to that. So that's a bit of a concern going forward as well. Yeah, it is a bit, bit, bit of a concern. I mean, we, we discussed the grain plants back in, in August and it's clearly the thing that we can use to judge railway performance other than uh, the ATC. Um, and if they're not meeting that plan, you know, it calls into question whether they put the resources behind actually wanting to meet that plan. So. Um, definitely something to be raised uh, now and in the future around around the, the value of these plans if, if we can't meet them. Um, well, we can stay on the topic of CN, obviously, because there's been a lot of news with CN uh, potentially related to the, to the performance issues we're seeing now. But, you know, the announcements of staff reductions and the recent issue around CN worldwide shutting down. Um, yeah, it uh, you know as we discussed previously, the whole idea of them entering into a deal to buy KCS was was being touted as value for shippers. Um, clearly, a deal didn't happen, and I don't think any of anybody expected that that uh, the deal not happening would would be almost punishing to shippers. But but from your perspective, what have you been seeing on the um, on the issues we're seeing at CN? Yeah, well, I think. Uh... You can sum it up by saying there's a little boardroom turmoil going on there right now, which is to be expected in these kinds of scenarios. Um, you are correct when you say that CN spent many, many months touting their pursuit of Kansas City Southern as a win-win, a, a to use a much overused phrase, um, for uh, CN customers and shippers. But now that the battle or that particular battle has been lost, CN's actions don't seem to be um, 
necessarily focused on the service side of their business. You know, they would say otherwise. Um, but when you look at what's going on, it's hard to uh, envision how the steps that they are taking is going to be beneficial, certainly in the near term, um, for shippers uh, or grain shippers included. So, you know, we're, we're in full uh, tit-for-tat mode between you know, the activist shareholder, TCI management, and CN's existing management. Uh, basically, everybody's calling everybody else a liar, which is kind of humorous if you read it from the right perspective. Um, CN, as you say, is in full staff reduction mode. Uh, uh, I can tell you for a fact that management cuts are already taking place uh, right across the organization. Um, with respect to the announced cuts to uh, train operations, or as we often call them, running trades, um, I presume that they, that process has begun, although I can't confirm that uh, at this time. But more broadly, the thing that's concerning is that their strategy appears to be absolutely reactionary. Um, because if this was such a good idea, you know, they would have done it before uh, they had a shareholder that was knocking on the door looking for change. So uh, this is the reaction, and the reaction has a couple of different steps to it. One is to uh, cut capital expenditure. Uh, the other is to reduce uh, staffing. And from, uh, from a core staffing perspective, if you will, CN proper, they've talked about 1,000 people, roughly 1,000 to 1,100 of which about 60% are management and about 40% are train operations people. They're also going to divest themselves apparently or look to divest themselves of uh, a number of entities that they either A, created or B, purchased over the last 10 years or so, which at the time, of course, they touted as you know brilliant moves as they strove to become uh, North America's most integrated uh, full-service supply chain provider from stem to stern, but now all of a sudden uh, the assets seemingly aren't worth keeping. So we've got Great Lake Shipping, which they bought in 2004 for just under $400 million. Apparently that's on the block. Transex Trucking, um, which was purchased just literally two years ago. Um, don't know the price, but if you look at comparables uh, as far as transactions that have happened in that same time period, Probably two to three hundred million dollars is not a bad bet. And as you mentioned, CN Worldwide, which uh, was, you know, acting uh, in the freight forwarder space, if you will, they've basically said they're shutting the doors, which has had a, you know, an, an immediate impact on some small grain shippers. So this kind of stuff uh, rarely goes well from a customer service perspective. Accelerated downsizing. Uh, just adds to that pain because there will be organizational dysfunction. Communication lines will get difficult, I think, for customers in the near term as jobs are eliminated and organizational structures are rearranged and the communication lines have to be reestablished. So there's no question it's going to impact service. I think it's possible that what we're seeing over the last three weeks is part of that. I'm sure it's not just that, but it's probably part of that. Um, and the real question is, you know, how bad is it going to get and how long is it going to last? We do know that 
the shareholder spat, if you will, um, is going to go at least until March because CN just announced this week um, their shareholder meeting um, to consider the slate of directors that have been put forward by this activist shareholder. So as you can imagine, between now and March in that five-month period, uh, CN is going to continue hacking away to try and make you know their business look better and and justify their case with you know all other shareholders, if you will. Something people should understand, and this is you know a bit of an aside, but it is relevant. One of the targets that CN has laid out there as part of this strategic review, um, they talk about bringing their operating ratio down to fifty-seven percent by. I'm not sure if it's Q four or by next year, but that's, you know, a drop of eight percentage points roughly from where their operating ratio was in their most recently reported results. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it's huge. And the other thing that people should understand is that if you do the math, the fastest way to reduce an operating ratio is to cut cost because you get more bang for your buck, no pun intended, by taking a dollar of cost out than you do by adding a dollar of revenue in something that was explained to me uh, with some clarity years ago when I worked for CN during their privatization. So the strategy is, is very much gonna be about reducing cost across a number of areas uh, to achieve that operating ratio reduction. And those things don't usually um, yield good results for shippers, not in the short term. Yeah, it's a potentially bleak picture for us uh, through the uh, through the fall. Something we'll definitely be watching, and thankfully, we've got the ATC numbers to be able to to measure the performance of the railways. So, um, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic over the next few weeks. Well, thanks a lot, Mill. Really appreciate your time again. For those of you who would like to see the reports, you can go to www.agtransportcoalition.com, and we'll talk to you all next week. <music>